this morning we'll be hearing from Jonah chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn there. Jonah chapter 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. The roots, to the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple, to those, those who cling to worthless idols, forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. This is the word of God. Good morning. My name is Adam. If you don't know me, I'm a part of the team here at Bray Park, and it's so great to have you with us this morning and to be able to open up God's word for us. And if you were here last week, you'd recall that we kicked off a sermon series through the Old Testament book of Jonah called The Depths of Grace. Now, the book of Jonah has four chapters, and so what we're doing is just taking one week to, to one look at one chapter a week for four weeks. If you were here last week, you'd remember that in chapter one, we saw that God called Jonah, the prophet Jonah, to go and preach against the great city of Nineveh. But Jonah, he knew what the Ninevites were like. He didn't like them very much and so he disobeyed God. He boarded a ship and went in the complete opposite direction. And so God sent a storm to wake Jonah up, to bring him back and to put an end to his rebellious running. And when we left Jonah last week, he had been thrown into the sea and swallowed by a, a great fish or a whale. The Hebrew text, the original text, isn't exactly clear as to what creature this was. It could be either of those things. And this is how chapter 1 ended in verse 17. There we go. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now let me just say right up front that there has been a lot of ink spilled and a lot of breath spent on this fish. In fact, one commentator says that this must be the most criticised fish that ever swam in the Mediterranean. Now it's true that a lot of people get hung up on this point. The idea that Jonah was swallowed by a fish and kind of preserved in its belly is met with scepticism and scorn by many modern readers. 
And in fact, someone came up to me after the service last week and they shared this story with me that I just would like to share with you for a moment. The story goes like this. A little girl was talking to her teacher about whales. The teacher said it was physically impossible for a whale to swallow a human. Because even though it was a very large mammal, its throat was very small. Now incidentally, the teacher's wrong. That's true for some whales, but not all whales. Anyway, the little girl stated that Jonah was swallowed by a whale. Irritated, the teacher reiterated a whale could not swallow a human. It was physically impossible. The little girl said, when I get to heaven, I'll ask Jonah. The teacher said, what if Jonah went to hell? The little girl replied, well, then you ask him. (laughs) Now, I don't think you'll go to hell for wrestling with the historicity of this story. But I do think that there are very good reasons for us not to consider this a parable or myth, but to consider it historical and recorded as it actually happened. I mean, to be quite honest, there are far more miraculous events in the Bible than this one. I mean, this would barely make the top ten. In Genesis chapter 1, God creates the entire universe with a word, by speaking. In the Gospels, we are told that Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. And that during his life, he healed the sick, he raised the dead. And at the end of his life, he was crucified, dead and buried, and then three days later, God raised him from the dead. I mean, the reality is, if God is really God, if God sovereignly sovereignly creates with the word and upholds the universe by the word of his power, then to get a fish to swallow a person doesn't really seem like that big of a deal. Moreover, if you read through the account itself, it's not written as a parable or as myth. It's written as history. It begins not by saying, once upon a time in a galaxy far, far away, there was a man named Jonah. It says, Jonah, the son of Amittai. And Second Kings, other parts of the Bible, give us more information about who Jonah was and what he did. Most importantly, though, I think, is that Jesus Christ treated the story of Jonah, the narrative of Jonah, as history. Twice he refers to it in Matthew chapter 12 and Luke chapter 11. And he refers to it as a very important sign for his own ministry. You see, there is good reason to consider that this is history, not parable or myth. But I don't want to spend too much time on this because the truth is that the real miracle in this account, it's not what happened in the belly of the whale. It's what happened in the heart of Jonah. The real miracle, it's not a miracle of preservation in the belly of a whale, but a miracle of restoration in the heart and in the life of Jonah. Jonah, the runaway prophet, comes to his senses and is restored to God, enters into a restored relationship with God. You see, if last week was all about running from God, which it was, then this week is all about returning to God. If last week was all about the depths of our sin, this week is all about the depths of God's grace. And we see this very clearly in this prayer that Jonah prays from the belly of the whale. 
And so we'll look at this prayer under three headings. Number one, the desperation of Jonah's prayer. Number two, the direction of Jonah's prayer. And number three, the depths of God's grace. What we're going to see is if you are going to turn to God, if you are going to receive the grace of God, then you need to recognise the desperation of your situation. And you need to turn in the right direction. So let's look firstly at the desperation of Jonah's prayer. Now it's pretty obvious from the prayer that Emma read for us that Jonah is in a pretty desperate situation. That since he's been thrown into the sea, he's had a pretty rough time of it. It's the middle of this storm, he's thrown into the sea, and what we read in his prayer is that he is sinking. Listen to some of the phrases that he uses in these verses. He says, In my distress I call to the Lord. From deep in the realm of the dead, or from the grave, I called for help. He says, You hurled me into the depths. The currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. The engulfing waters threatened me. The earth beneath barred me in forever. And then verse 7, My life was ebbing away. And this isn't Jonah kind of exaggerating or using over-the-top language. These are the desperate words of a man who came perilously close to death. But if we look what is also going on in this verse, we see that there is an even deeper level of despair that Jonah is experiencing. We see it in verse 4. Jonah says, I have been banished from your sight. Now this is ironic, isn't it? Because if you remember last week, Jonah was the one who ran away from God. And here he's almost saying, well, God, you have thrown me out. You have banished me. And I just think that this illustrates the truth that sometimes when we find ourselves distant from God, we very easily blame God when the reality is that we have been running from God. And it's what we see happening for Jonah. But in any case, Jonah is sinking further and further into the depths. He's sinking closer and closer to the depth. But he's also saying that I am sinking further and further away from you, God. Jonah felt like God had rejected him, forgotten about him. Jonah felt like that there was no way back for him. He was in a place of utter desperation and utter hopelessness. And some of us have been there. Some of us are there right now. There are times in life when we sink so low that we feel close to death and we feel forgotten by God. And it can be caused by all different kinds of things. Maybe it's a broken marriage or a broken heart. Maybe it's financial ruin or the loss of a job. Maybe it's a terminal diagnosis or the illness or death of a loved one. Maybe it's an addiction that we cannot overcome or just the ongoing weight of our sin. There are all kinds of situations and circumstances in life that bring us to this point of desperation, where we feel close to death and forgotten by God. And when we find ourselves in these situations, we we respond in different ways. Some of us, some people lose all hope. They give up, the, the darkness becomes too overwhelming. And if you are at that point this morning, I would plead with you to reach out. Reach out to someone in your life who you, who you know loves and, and you can trust. Reach out to someone on staff at, at the church. 
Sometimes people seek to numb the pain, self-medicate in, in all different kinds of ways, food, alcohol, drugs, sex, escapist entertainment, games, TV shows, that kind of thing. Sometimes in desperate situations, people get angry. They blame God. They rage at God. How could you let this happen to me, God? I thought you loved me. Why won't you take this away from me, God? I thought you cared about me. See, the tragedy is that sometimes when we find ourselves in these desperate situations, they can be the catalyst for us to walk away from God. But sometimes, and this is what we see happen in the life of Jonah, these desperate situations that we find ourselves in can be a catalyst for us to draw near to God, to cry out to God. And this is exactly what Jonah does. He directs himself and he directs his prayer to God. Again, look at some of the other phrases that he uses. He says, in my distress, I called to the Lord. He says, I will look again toward your holy temple. My prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. And in verse 9, I will sacrifice to you. In the midst of his despair, in the midst of his hopelessness, Jonah directs himself and his prayer and his hope towards God. And maybe this is what happened for you in your life. Maybe you came to the point of desperation, you came to the end of yourself, and you realised that you had nothing left except God himself. This week I read the story of a, a young boy named Ned. This isn't working, thank you guys. I read the story of a young boy named Ned. Ned is a, a six-year-old boy from Tasmania and he has bone marrow leukaemia. And if the doctors are right, he does not have long to live. Now Ned, along with his parents and his siblings, are currently in Seattle at the moment uh, seeking treatment. And his mum writes in a blog post, she says, short of a miracle, there is nothing more we can do for our darling Ned. And my heart aches and aches and groans and pleads for another lifeline. Just a little bit more hope. We don't have unrealistic expectations of a medical miracle and acknowledge that there's every chance the treatment will do nothing and Ned's disease will progress so quickly in the next few weeks that he won't make it home. Though there is so much unknown right now, this we do know. God is sovereign over Ned's cancer. Listen to this. The battle is his. And we are helpless in this. This horrid situation doesn't disprove his existence and love. And though we waver, doubt and rail against him oh so often, our souls feel more stillness and peace knowing how treasured Ned is to our Father in heaven. And he knows intimately the pain of watching a child suffer. God knows. See, have you ever come to the end of yourself? The point of desperation where you realise you have nothing left but God himself. This is often what it takes for us to turn our eyes to God. Now I know that this is actually one of the objections that people have with Christianity. I don't know if you've ever heard people say this, but they'll say things like, well, Christianity is just a crutch for weak, naive, feeble people. You know, you Christians, when you get banged up and bruised by life, you can't deal with it on your own, and so you kind of just lean on God, lean on your faith as a crutch. But it's not real. 
And this is why when life gets back to normal, you kind of move on and you forget about God. Maybe you've heard someone say something like that before. Let me just say two things. Number one, if this is the pattern of your life and faith, if your devotion to God, if your prayer life only emerges in times of difficulty and crisis, then maybe it tells us that there is a distorted view of God or a distorted relationship with God in there somewhere. You see, God is not just an ambulance. He's a father. And sometimes we treat God like an ambulance. We only call on him when there's a crisis in our life. But God's a good father. And he can be trusted at all times and in all situations, good and bad. Secondly, I would say to those people who say, well, Christianity is just a crutch for weak, kind of feeble people, the needy people, I would say, you are absolutely correct. But you haven't even gone far enough. We are far worse than we think we are and we need far more than a crutch. (laughs) You see, the real message of Christianity is not that we're just a little bit sick and we just need a little bit of assistance from God to kind of reach our full potential in life. The real message of Christianity is that we are spiritually dead and we need God to give us completely new life. We don't just need medicine, we need resurrection. We don't just need a crutch, we need God himself to bring us to life. Listen to the words of Ephesians chapter 2. Where Paul writes, he says, because of the great love with which he loved us, that's God, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, dead in our sins, God's done what? He has given us some help. He's given us a a little bit of medicine. He has made us alive together with Christ. Friends, this is why Christianity begins with a recognition of the desperation of your situation. And let me ask you, have you come to the end of yourself Have you come to that point of desperation where you know you have nothing but God himself? Or do you kind of look at your life and do you look at the lives of others and think, well, I'm doing okay. I mean, that person over there, they really need God. But me, I'm doing okay. In fact, God's pretty fortunate, pretty lucky to have me on his team. I bring a a fair bit to the table. Listen to the parable that Jesus told us in Luke 18. He says, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, the Pharisee, went home justified before God, righteous before God, in a right relationship with God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. You have two men, and both men are turning to God. Both men are praying to God. Both men are in church. They're at the temple. But only one man walks out of there in a right relationship with God. 
because only one man recognised the desperation of his situation. Only one man recognised the depth of his own sin and beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The other man, too busy pointing his finger at everybody else. So let me ask you, are you a pointer, finger pointer or a breast beater? Are you an expert in the sins of other people and ignorant of your own? What's the cry of your heart? God, thank you that I'm not like them. Or God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's real Christianity. And it begins with a recognition of the desperation of your situation. And this is what we see happening in the life of Jonah. He's beginning to recognise the desperation of his situation. And so he turns to God. He directs himself to God. And the amazing good news is that God meets him in that low place. God meets him in the depths. And we see the depths of God's grace. You see, the turn happens in verse 6. Ever since Jonah ran away from God, I don't know if you recognised this last week, but he has been on a downward trajectory. If you remember back to chapter 1, when Jonah initially fled, we were told that he went down to Joppa. And then he went down to the ship. And then he went below deck and fell asleep. And today we're told that he went to the bottom of the ocean, to the roots of the mountains, we were told. But then in verse 6, Jonah's been going down, 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 down. And then we read this in Jonah Jonah chapter 2, verse 6. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. See, God comes to Jonah in the depths of his sin and rebellion and he lifts him up to the heights of his love and forgiveness. And this is why Jonah declares in verse 9, salvation belongs to the Lord. And friends, this is the message of the Bible in five words. If you want to know what's the Bible all about, that's it. Salvation belongs to the Lord. This is the message of Christianity. You see, Jonah was in the belly of the fish. He was well aware of his desperate situation and he was well aware that he could contribute nothing to his rescue, nothing to his salvation. I mean, he can't go to the temple and give an offering He can't offer a sacrifice. He can't do anything. He's in the belly of the fish. All he can do is cry out to God for his mercy. That's what he does. And God comes to him and meets him in that low place and lifts him up. Because salvation belongs to the Lord. Now if we were to summarise that even further and take those five words and put them into one word, that one word would be grace. Grace. It's grace that's at the heart of Christianity. It's grace that sets Christianity apart from every other worldview. But I think grace is one of those words that we use regularly, but perhaps we don't always know the depths of what it means. I mean, how would you define grace if someone asked you? To put it simply, grace is an unearned gift from an unobligated giver. Now let me say that again. Grace is an unearned gift gift from an unobligated giver. Now let me give you three scenarios to help unpack what this means for us. Scenario number one. Imagine your husband comes to you and he tells you that he has had a secret gambling problem for the last two years. He's racked up a significant amount of debt 
and he needs to use all of your life savings to pay it off or he's going to go to jail. Now, if you were to do that for him, it would be an undeserved, unearned gift. But you're also his wife. And so in another sense, you're kind of obligated to do that for him. You're obligated to help him. And so your actions are gracious, but they're not grace in the full sense of the word. It's an undeserved gift from an obligated giver. Scenario number two. Imagine your t- uh, child has a teacher and they just do an amazing job. They go over and above all the time to help uh, the children in their class. And so all the parents get together and they pull some money together and they decide they're going to buy something really special for this teacher. Now is that grace? Well, again, your actions are gracious. You're not obligated to buy this gift. You are an unobligated giver. But in another sense, they've earned it. They've worked hard. They've earned this gift. It's a deserved gift from an unobligated giver. Scenario three. Imagine you have a really, really bad neighbour. And some of you don't need to imagine too hard. But imagine they hold parties all night long with no regard for anyone else. They blast their music at all hours at the highest volume possible and it's terrible music, it's Justin Bieber or whatever. But if you play your music at a reasonable hour, at a reasonable level and it's something awesome like Dylan or Bowie or whatever, if you play your music, they call the cops and they complain. Not only that, they dump their leaves and their grass clippings over the fence and on your lawn. And not only that, but their fence has encroached across the boundary line and it's in your land. I mean, they're just an awful, awful neighbour. But then, your neighbour gets really, really sick. And so day after day, you go around to their house. You clean for them. You cook for them. You mow their lawn. And then dump their clippings over in your own lawn. You pay the medical bills. You drive them to hospital. They don't deserve it. And you're under no obligation to help them. But you do it anyway. And you do it with a cheerful smile. And that's grace. It's an undeserved gift from an unobligated giver. And friends, God is an unobligated giver. He owes us nothing. And yet, he gives us everything. Because salvation belongs to the Lord. And this is the truth of Christianity. This is the message of the Bible. And when this truth implants itself in our hearts, it changes us from the inside out. And this is what we see happen for Jonah. We're going to see in weeks to come. He's still got a long way to go, like all of us. But he begins to change. In verse 9, he responds with joy and thanksgiving to God. He says, But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. When we truly experience the depths of God's grace, it changes us. And I've shared the story of John Newton with you before, but as I close, I'd like to share it with you again. You see, John Newton was the writer of the hymn, Amazing Grace. And he was born in 1725 in a Christian home. And as a child, his mum would teach him verses of the Bible. But then, when he was only six years old, his mother died. And he was sent to live with a relative who hated the Bible and mocked Christianity. And so around the age of 11, he ran away to sea and just ended up in loose living. It's actually said about John Newton that he was able to swear for two hours without repeating himself, which is impressive. 
John Newton experienced the ups and the downs of life at sea. And at one point he sank so low that he became a servant to a Portuguese slave trader in Africa. But eventually he made his way back to sea and near the end of one voyage his ship ran into a violent storm. And the storm raged for days on end. Newton was actually tied to the helm to hold the ship on its course. And in the midst of this fierce storm, John Newton began to think about his life. And he came to the conclusion that his life was battered and beaten as badly as the ship that he was upon. But then, as he's in this storm, some Bible verses that his mother taught him came to mind. And in the midst of this raging storm, the God of grace, the God whom Newton had tried to forget and the God whom John Newton had run away from, flooded his heart and his mind with his love and his grace and his forgiveness. And Newton was deeply transformed. In fact, that day at the helm, March 21, 1748, it was a day that he remembered forevermore. He wrote in his diary, he says, On that day, the Lord sent from on high and delivered me out of deep waters. And it wasn't because of who John Newton was. It wasn't because of anything Newton had done. It was because of God's amazing grace. It was because salvation belongs to the Lord. And Newton never ceased to be in awe of God's work in his life. And this is why many years later, in 1779, he wrote the hymn, Amazing Grace. And he penned these words, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. And friends, that is real Christianity. God has opened your eyes to see the desperation of your situation and the depths of his grace. As I close, let me just ask you, have you ever cried out to God for his grace and his mercy? Maybe you're in the belly of the whale right now. Maybe you find yourself in the midst of a desperate situation. Let me just invite you to call on God The Bible says in Psalm 55, As for me, I shall call upon God and the Lord will save me. They may be wondering, well, Adam, how how can you be so sure? How can you know that God will answer me when I call? Friends, we can know, we can be sure because Jesus Christ endured the silence from God that you and I deserved so that we can receive the embrace of God that we have not earned. Does Jonah's prayer remind you of another prayer in the Bible? Does it sound like another prayer? To me, it sounds like Jesus' prayer from the Garden of Gethsemane. See, on the night before he went to the cross, Jesus prayed in a state of desperation, just like Jonah. He cried out to God to deliver him from his impending death. But God was silent. And on the cross, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, Jesus was enduring the silence and the condemnation that our sins deserved so that we can receive the life and the forgiveness and the embrace of God that we have not earned. And so that when we cry out to God from the deepest pit, He hears us, He 
saves us. He receives us and makes us his own. What amazing grace. Join me as we pray. Heavenly Father, there are some of us here this morning who simply want to say to you, we want to cry out to you that we recognise the desperation of our situation and we want to call on you for grace and mercy in our time of need. And so Lord, as we now sing this song, Amazing Grace, There might be those of us who just want to do some business with you, God. Come before you in faith, trusting that we can approach you and call on you because of what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all that you've done for us and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.